Hashem's loving grace. Tonight, we're going to learn about the war of Amuna and the history of the Jewish people leads up to Hanukkah and that Hanukkah is not one time thing that happened 2,300 years ago. It is with us today, still every single one we had the war of Amunah is an ongoing thing until Mashiach, until Mashiach. Okay, let's go back to the very first monotheist, this Abraham. Okay, we're going back uh, uh, quite a while. Quite a while. Abraham was, a war began against Abraham when he was three years old. When he was three years old, they saw that this is, Hey, child, what was it? He looked around as a three-year-old child. He had a magnificent intellect, and he wondered, "Who? Where's this world come from? Where? Where's everything? Where's the? Where's the sun comes from? Who rules the world?" And first, he thought that the sun ruled the world, and then he saw a cloud come. This is the mind of a three-year-old boy. Okay, he then saw a cloud come, and the cloud overcame the sun. And I said, "No." Then he saw that. Uh, the cloud gave rain and the, the rain on the earth that the cloud was really running the show until a wind came along and a wind blew away the cloud. <laughs> and he saw one after the other and finally came back to the sun and was so confused. And he says, who made all of this? And really seeking the creator and the creator revealed himself to him. Not only that, but Abraham is a three-year-old, believed in one God. And they said, oh, we can't have this. We can't have this in our nursery school. This is going to ruin all the kids. So they wanted to kill him, and Abraham hid in a cave at three years old. This is the, the, the life of a three-year-old. And the only other toddler I remember that had such tribulations was King David. We'll get to King David. Okay, you're talking about tribulations that for the time he was a toddler. What do we learn from Abraham? We learn from Abraham that anyone who wants to seek the truth, Hashem gives it, and the soul, the human soul, has the ability to seek and to recognize truth. But the problem is, is people are pleasure seekers. They're not truth seekers. Truth and pleasure don't always go together. In fact, oftentimes they collide. And that's the, the war of Amunah, as we'll, we'll see. So what happens to Abraham? Abraham grows up and Abraham sees his father. His father had a Mercedes-Benz dealership for idols. His father said the best, the highest, high-end idols. The metal idols, copper idols, gold idols, silver idols, wood idols, whatever kind of one of them. His father, Terach, Terach was a manufacturer and distributor of idols and high-end idols. Okay, Abraham went into a shop one day and he said, this is not true. They don't run the world. They can't run themselves. Abraham took a hammer and one by one, he smashed all the idols. Okay, this is a teenager. This was about the time of his bar mitzvah. He smashed all the idols. And his father comes in and his father sees all his work, all this. Can match this inventory. We're talking about something that's equivalent of, of hundreds of thousands of dollars of inventory worth of idols. And it, it, it smashed. So father says, uh, who smashed all these idols? And Abraham says, well, I saw there was a big argument between the wood idols and the metal idols. Now the wood idols said, no, we're the real deal. The metal idols said, no, we're the real deal. And then the metal idols start arguing with each other. The copper and the gold start arguing. And, and the father said, Abraham, you're lying. You're lying. They can't do anything. He said, Daddy, do you hear what you're saying? You say they can't talk. They can't do anything. And you believe in them. You produce them. You believe in them. Right away. This is Abraham's clarity of thought. And we see with people what they, these, with 
theologies and and religions and it's built on it's built on types of uh of fairy tales that a straight thinker can just destroy them right away don't go to the other thing but this is this is this is the straight thinking of abraham the truth seeker and this is the first monotheist this is the first monotheist the first hebrew what's hebrew hebrew the word hebrew is ivri in in hebrew Okay, Ivri means if from the word Aver, the other side. Abraham was on one side of the river, and the rest of humanity was on the other side of the river. Abraham was on the side of the river of monotheism of one God, and everybody else was there. Okay, so what happens? Abraham is now a young man, he's in his uh, late teens, and King Nimrod, who we see later in the Torah, King Nimrod was a he starred in the war between the four uh, the four kings and the five kings. Abraham will go to war against him. Hold it. But now Nimrod on his own says, hey, look, you can't have a, a, a rebel like this Abraham because Nimrod was not only king, he sold himself off as a deity. People have to bow down to him. People have to worship him. And Abraham was bad for business. Abraham says, hey, listen, uh, I say, see, early in the morning, you have to go behind the shed in the outhouse like everybody else. That, that deity doesn't need to do those type of things. And you are. Abraham was bad for business. He said he's just a simple flesh and blood like everybody else. No. So what did he do with Abraham? He threw Abraham into a fiery furnace. This is one of the 10 the tests of faith. Abraham went through 10 vigorous tests of faith. The last test of faith, the 10th, was when Hashem asked him to slaughter his only son, Isaac. And this is something that goes completely against monotheism. The monotheism, Abraham could have argued with Hashem. Hashem, wait a second. Isaac is my only son. That you're going to you're going to finish off the monotheism before you even started, before you even got off the ground. The second generation monotheism. These are the fathers of of the Jewish people. The, the fathers of Hebrew, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is not here yet. And I, Abraham could have had thirty four reasons. And the Yetzirah is a great lawyer. The evil inclination, the great lawyer, giving Abraham to tell Hashem to refuse to do this one tenth thing. Abraham put his brain completely aside and he said, well, We don't ask questions about Hashem. Hashem asked, and this was a test of faith. Test of faith. Abraham passed all these tests of faith, and they were horrendous tests of faith, really, really arduous tests of faith. I want to delve on one point. We see later that. And we see that Abraham allowed himself to be thrown into a fiery furnace. Uh, kids, I remember when I, I spoke to, to Yeshiva in Manchester, and a lot of the boys had their heads more in the in the Mundial uh, than they did there at the Gemara. So but they think, they were, okay, guys, like, you think Mundial is cool? Yeah, you don't think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are cool? No, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. If you could take a Rambo and multiply that Rambo a thousand times, that was Abraham. Abraham was one tough dude okay so abraham we'll see later when the war between the four kings and the five kings abraham's nephew is conquered the, the, the four kings from the north they beat the five kings of sodom and gomorrah and they capture abraham's nephew lot who lived in sodom and they take him up back up to syria okay abraham now goes to war with eliezer his, his servant, Abraham served, the, the Torah says 318 soldiers, but 318 is the numerical value of Eliezer. The Midrash says it was only Abraham and Eliezer. He went to war against the four mightiest kings in the army. Now, can you imagine, you take uh, the head rabbi of Great Britain, 
and his beetle, his right-hand man, and they go to war against the United States Army, against the Russian Army, against uh, uh, the, the, the Chinese Army and the North Korean Army. It, it's, it's, it sounds great. No, this is what Abraham did. This is what Abraham did and defeated them. So we ask ourselves a question. One of those four kings that Abraham fought was Nimrod. Why did Abraham allow himself to be thrown in a fire furnace? He could have finished off Nimrod then and there, right there. He could finish and the army, nobody could have stopped him. But he didn't fight against Nimrod to save himself. Yet, when his nephew was kidnapped by the four kings of the north, the four wicked kings, Abraham goes to war to free his nephew. Now, what happened? Nimrod could not defeat Abraham. His nephew Lot had the same exact count. They looked they look like the, the, the twins. Even though this was his uncle, he was older, they looked like twins. So Nimrod's strategy was to parade Lot around as a captive and say, see, this monotheist, the, the, the God is no more, less powerful than I am because I captured him. He wanted to say he captured Abraham. So Abraham, to save his own skin, he wouldn't go to war. But for Hashem's honor, to prevent the defamation of Hashem's name, he's all battle. He's all battle. He goes, he defeats the kings, and he freed the hostages, and he comes back. This is Abraham. His entire modus vivendi, his entire motivation is sanctification of Hashem's name and to avoid defamation of Hashem's name. What we say in Hebrew, kiddush Hashem, and to avoid chibul Hashem. This is Abraham. Abraham passes this on to Isaac. Isaac also for, for, for his amuna, listens to his father, doesn't ask questions. Father says, you're going on the stake. Hashem wants to sacrifice you. That's it. I, Isaac was also a very rough dude. Even though people, they, they think of him as, a, oh, the, the, the little lamb on the, on the stake is the young man and he's about to be slaughtered. The Torah tells us, and Parshas told us that uh, Isaac, he dug wells. Some of the wells were dug by the servants. And some particular wells, Isaac dug by himself. Have you ever seen the arms of a ditch digger? <laughs> They're good size arms. Well, he was also, and he learned to take care of himself and his father, and the his father. And where do we see this? We see this where the king of Philistine, the king of Philistine, Avimelech, he comes with his general, Pichol, and they come with their army, and they come to Isaac, and they say, Oh, you better not declare war against us. We're here to, to make a treaty with you. And after we've done you a favor and, and let you sit in our land, let you sell in our land. <laughs> They're worried. They're all upset about one little guy. Can you imagine? Uh, you get the, the, the commander in chief of, of, of the British Army. He comes with his with his right hand man and he comes to fiddle on the roof. He said, die, 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 die. Oh, no, you better not threaten the British seals. You better not threaten the British Air Force. You better not threaten the British Navy. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is Isaac. This is Isaac. They were scared stiff of him as only as he was scared stiff. Now, wait a second. Let's go down to Jacob. But we never see any of them using any power except to fight for Amuna. Look at Jacob. The Torah juxtaposes the two twin brothers, Esau and Jacob. Esau's out in the field. Esau's the mountain, the macho man. Esau's the hunter. He's got his bow and arrow. He's got his knife. He's stealing other man's wives. He's doing all kinds of crazy things. Okay. But, but he comes home. He changes clothes and he serves his father dinner. 
And he says, uh, Daddy, how do you do this mitzvah? And how do you do that mitzvah? And he talks a good game to his father, and his father thinks, oh, he's, he's very special. He's very special that he's out in the field talking to Hashem all day long, and he's really working hard. And Jacob sat and studied all day long. So Isaac, the Torah tells us that Rebecca, she knew her boys. She preferred Jacob, but Isaac preferred Esau. Guess how can Isaac prefer Esau? Esau was a con man. He was a con artist. And his father, he succeeded in pulling the wool over his father's eyes. But see, how can he pull the wool over his father's eyes? His father's wool with, with the Holy Spirit. But he really put on an act as if he's serving Hashem. And he thought, Isaac thought, well, look at what uh, Esau is the hunter. He goes out and, and he makes effort. And his emuna is as he, he, he talks to Hashem, Hashem, give me and it, you know, let me find my hunt and this and that. And, well, what's with Jacob? Okay, so he's sitting and learning. He's sitting and learning. And he really thought that Esau was a servant of Hashem. Hashem showed him otherwise. Hashem showed him otherwise. When finally uh, Esau comes and he couldn't find game and he tried to feed his father a dead dog. Okay, this is also the midrash. Huh? This was that uh, came in, and even though we cooked it with spices and everything, spiritually, Isaac had a very strong nose, and it smelled like, like a skunk. And to high, it, it stunk too. It was terrible. And Jacob got the blessing. Jacob got the blessing. What do we see about Jacob? What do we see about Jacob? Jacob, Esau, Jacob gets the blessing. Esau is very jealous of Jacob. And Esau says, my parents are going to be mourners. I'm going to kill my brother. So he says, and Rebecca, she tips off Jacob. She says, listen, until he calms down, go up to Syria, go up to my brother. Then it's called Padam Aran, where the Tigris and the Euphrates come together. It's where the Syrian border comes together with the Iraqi border, uh, right in the Tigris and Euphrates River. And go, this is time for you to get married. Take a wife from our family. Okay, don't take a Canaanite wife. They're all idolaters. And they were born not to take a Canaanite wife. So he goes up. On the way up to Syria, he gets near where his uncle Laban, Re Rebecca's brother, lives. And he sees it's midday. And what did Jacob see? Jacob sees this. All, all these shepherds, they're in the middle of the day, they're bringing their flocks into the water hole. Well, usually what a shepherd should do is to graze all day long. And just before you go back to the encampment, to bring toward evening, right before right before the sun goes down, then to give the ship to drink. So Jacob says, what are you guys doing in the, in the afternoon, in the middle of the afternoon? You owe your employers a full day's work. Okay. He says, well, they told him, they said, look, the water hole is here. There's this tremendous big boulder that covers the well so that the water doesn't get dirty. And it takes all of us together, all the shepherds together, hey, oh, hey, oh, heave, ho, to get the rock off the well. Jacob goes, what's the problem? And Rashi tells him, he lifts it, boop, like taking a, taking a cork off a, off a uh, wine bottle. Boop, that's it. Takes it right off. This was Jacob's power. Jacob's power. Okay. So we see Jacob spends 20 years by, by Laban. When finally Laban swindled him with, with one wife and another wife and changed his, changed his salary 35 times, 3,500 times. And he finally goes, he gets a command from Hashem. Go back to the land of Israel. That's enough with Syria. Things come down. Now he has a big confrontation. This is uh, in parts of Israel. There's a big confrontation with Esau. This is one of the most dramatic uh, parts in Torah. 
it's like the, 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 the old cowboy movie, uh, Showdown at the OK Corral, and it's Asa and she, Asa is, comes with 400 tough guys, 400 mafia, and Jacob is there with his 11 sons, and his, his four wives, and they, they, that's it. Then they, the sheep and the, the goats and the camels and the donkeys. And what's going to be? Jacob prepares himself. He makes three preparations, three Amuna preparations. First of all, he prays. He prays to Hashem. Second, he prepares a gift of appeasement, appeasement to Esau. And third, he propels himself for war. He breaks up the, the whole thing, the wives and the children into two camps. So if Esau attacks one camp, the other camp will come. Okay, what does he do? Jacob doesn't act like macho man when he meets his brother. He doesn't confront him for a fight right away. He gave him honor, gave him credit, gave him a big, a big gift, a big bribe. And that's what Jacob, okay. So Jacob, his father-in-law, is now chasing after him too, wants to, to, to make war with him. Esau wants to make war with him. And Jacob, he, he doesn't resort to violence. He doesn't resort to violence. Only praise to Shem. Praise to Shem. And he goes, we see he doesn't use violence at all. What happens is after he gets to Israel and he gets through Esau, okay, and he crosses the river, he gets into Israel, okay, and he goes to the town of Shechem, which is today Shechem in, in, the, in uh, Samaria, and it's still a, a terrorist capital. Bad, then it was a terrorist capital. A lot of bad things happened in Jewish history in the town of Shechem. And there his daughter Dina is kidnapped. The daughter Dina is kidnapped. So what happens in this battle of Emuna? Jacob's two sons, Shimon and Levi, that were bar mitzvah boys, they retaliate against their sister's honor and they kill an entire village. They kill the village that, that, that subjected their sister. And uh, Jacob, he's upset with them. He says, we don't resort to violence. He says, what, you're going to, our, our sister is, is she, she's free game for anybody? Okay, they were, but you see, we see later that because Shimon and Levi, in the slightest, slightest way, they, they were, it was maybe an element of personal vendetta. But to, to say that Shimon, there, there's, there's a big argument, there's a big argument. Some justify Shimon and Levi and say, look, if they would have let Shem into the Jewish people, uh-uh, they would have, well, because they never really converted. They were never really honest. They just wanted the girl. Okay, so they deserve the death penalty. And the Ramban says they did deserve the death penalty. But Jacob, he's angry at them. He says, he called them with you, that you ruined them. They allowed themselves to have a brit milah. They allowed themselves to be circumcised. They, they did what they should they, they should have done, but not so, not sincere. Uh, it's still an open question. The question is, when do we fight in Judaism? We fight for emunah. We fight for Emunah. Jacob was not sure that this is an entire fight for Emunah. And on his deathbed, on his deathbed, he curses, and he curses two sons, he curses their anger. He curses their anger. And we can see in retrospect, Jacob knew what he was doing because out of Shimon, he had an offspring named Zimri, a great great grandson named Zimri. And Zimri, he was a president of the tribe of Shimon, and he personally uh, messed up with the Midianite women, 
and he did a bad thing. Uh, Levi had a grandson that also a great grandson by the name of Korach who revolted against Moses. So we see there's a bad streak. It's anger is not a war of Etzimuna. We see Abraham would not go to war for himself. He only went to war for Emuna. Okay, and this is all goes down through history. The history of it peaceful. We don't pick up arms, but we see that our forefathers, they were tough cookies. The Malbim, Rabbi Meir Labish Malbim, he wrote a commentary on Torah called Torah Tamima. If you see Torah Tamima, you see the most of many, most, many synagogues have it. And it says in Parshas Vayechi, he talks about all the 12 tribes and the individual combat style of each of the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes, they were, they were tough guys. They were really tough. Okay, now let's go down. Levi's, Levi, but the, the good side of Levi, the wonderful side of Levi, it was Levi's grandsons that prevented, did not, not a single one of the tribes of Levi served the golden calf. Not only that, they went through in Israel and they took retaliation against all the people that bowed down to the golden calf. That was that, the number one. And then out of Levi comes, we're going to fast forward down to the Hashmonaim family, the, the Kohanim, the high priest, they come out of Levi. And a family of the high priest was called the Hashmonaim. Okay, continue down. This could be really a 10-hour lesson. Tell you about King David's War of Amunah and what everyone did all the way down through the generation. We're going to fast forward down to the, let's see, from... Uh, from Moses, we're talking about uh, 20, 24, Moses 42, 48, 44, 48. Okay, 3,348 years ago. And now we're going to fast forward 1,000 years to 2,300 years ago to the time of the Hashmonai. There was a family of priests called Hashmonai. And we call them plural Hashmonai. And their great-grandfather was Yohanan. Yochanan uh, had a son named Matatiao. Okay. And as we say, Alanisim on Hanukkah, Vayi bimei Matatiao ben Yochanan Kohen Godel. That's when we start the Alanisim prayer. We say, in the days of Matatiao, the son of Yochanan, this was the time of Hanukkah. This time, kind of what happened in Hanukkah? It happened in Hanukkah that the Greeks, uh, the Greeks, the Seleucid Greeks, this, the Seleucid Greeks were the Greeks in Asia Minor, the Greeks in, in Iraq and in Syria. Uh, the Greek, the Greece had conquered in time of Alexander the Great. They had conquered, they were going to conquer the whole world. But it's on the way to the time of Macedonia, but it's before Alexander the Great. They conquered the Middle East and they came into the land of Israel. They seized the Holy Temple. They defiled the Holy Temple. Okay, this is the time of the first temple. They defiled the Holy Temple. Uh, they, in the Holy of Holies, they sacrificed swine. It was such an abomination. It was such an abomination. But here's the problem. Would you believe that 99% of the Jewish population in the land of Israel became Hellenists? What did the Hellenists do? Greeks, they had fantastic culture and wonderful music and art. And they were bodily oriented because everybody could could go and you know, have a, a free membership at the gym and uh, work on your muscles and but you know be, be beauty 
that the, the, the Torah says that they are the descendants where we are descendants of, of Shem. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yophet. We are the descendants. That's why it was called Semite comes from Shem, comes to Noah's son Shem. We are Semites. That's where we come from Shem. Whereas the Greeks, they come from Yephet. Yephet means the beautiful one. And this is uh, the Greeks, this is Greek beauty, everything, beauty in their art. And, and they, they honored human beauty and to both men and women. Now, with the Greeks, there's a difference between the Greeks and the Romans that came after them. The Romans would throw the Jews to the lions. The Romans didn't want to say Rome was a very difficult occupation because Rome is not Greece. Rome are the descendants of Esau. And Esau, they want to take revenge on the Jewish people every way he could. Greece says no. Greece says you're more than welcome. Come to our universities. Come to our gyms. Come dance with us. Come to our discotheques. Come to we do everything. You're more than welcome. Greece was a benevolent, too benevolent. Greece was a benevolent occupation. They didn't kill anybody. They said just, just three things, three things we don't want. What they they three things they don't want. We don't want the Sabbath, okay? You're not allowed to keep Sabbath. What's the Sabbath? The Sabbath means that we recognize that Hashem created the world in six days and rest on the seventh. And that's why we sing and on, on, on each meal in Shabbos, the Arizal, that he writes the, the Askiru prayer before every meal. Askiru's dosomem nusa. Let us prepare ourselves for the meal of Emunah. Shabbat. It's called the meal of Amuna. Every every Shabbat meal is called the meal of Amuna. The morning, the night meal of Amuna, the morning meal of Amuna, the afternoon meal of Amuna. Because this is the meals of Amuna. These are three meals. We eat these three meals to commemorate the Hashem that we read, we, we rest on the seventh day. And this is food that we prepared before the seventh day. It's already prepared. Uh, we're allowed to, to, to heat it up a certain way, not by lighting electricity, but the, on, on, a, on a hot plate. Okay. Uh, this is the, the meal of Amunah, because Shabbat is all about Amunah. Greece says, no, no Shabbat. And Greece says, second thing, you're not allowed, circumcision. Oh, no, no, no. It's got to be like us, circumcision. It's a, even as you say today, some doctors say, oh, you're, you're mutilating the body. Mutilating the body. Okay. But the, the, the circumcision is, uh, the, the, there's a lot of the reasons for circumcision. Circumcision is to help a man prevail over the evil inclination helps the good inclination prevail over the evil inclination that's in brief but now you can't have circumcision and the third thing they said you cannot have a new moon you can't have rosh chodesh well if there's no new moon there's no holidays you can't have rosh hashanah you can't have yom kippur you can't have passover you can't have sukkot you can't have shuot no holidays as soon as there's no okay say hear what the greeks are saying and it sounds demagogically it sounds very nice Okay, and the seculars and the modern, what they tell the equivalent, the, the, the modern, they're talking to the Hashmonaim, the, the Kohanim. What are you guys, you freaks, you zealots, and look how nice the Greeks are to us. So what's the big deal? What, what, what's a big deal if we, we learn in their in the university? Ooh, if you learn their university, you become just like them. And you learn the Greek university, you've got a, a nice looking Greek girl, a nice looking Greek guy sitting next to you in biology 201 lab, okay, and you end up marrying him, all right? This is what, sure, you know, they, they, not only that, 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 that we keep our education separate, and we keep our education separate between boys and girls, and they come together to get married, oh, Hashem. Okay, no, Greece up for anything, but it looked like it was apparent. There was nobody loyal to Hashem, 
and no below to Amunah. If we take these three things, Emunah, where is Emunah most manifest? It's manifest in Brit Bila. It's manifest in Shabbat. It's manifest in the festivals. And this is uprooting Emunah. This is what Greek did. And what they finally did when they couldn't contain themselves, they required every Jewish farmer to take a cow and write on the cow's horn, heaven forbid, heaven forbid, write on the cow's horn, the farmer had to write that he has no portion in Hashem. No, he denies Hashem. deny Hashem. So it came, and then it came to a point where if someone was loyal to Hashem, uh, then they took off the gloves. Then it wasn't so nice anymore. So a war began. A war began. Uh, how did the war begin? Matatiao, who lived in the town of Modi'in, town of Modi'in is maybe 30 kilometers outside of Jerusalem to the west. And he couldn't stand what was going on. He wrote a letter to Budrus. Budrus was the right-hand man of Antiochus. And now we're starting the story of Hanukkah. We're continuing the War of Amunah. We're starting the story of Hanukkah. Okay, Budrus was the general that defiled the temple, conquered land of Israel, and later Antiochus came in, the king. Okay, so Budrus uh, is sitting in the temple. He makes this, the holy temple his headquarters, and there's everything, every type of ritual impurity. The temple is completely defiled. The Kohanim can't do any sacrifice. No one, they're, they're, they're kicked out. And the Greeks have taken over the Holy Temple. Well, Matatiao, he does something very cunning. He does something, a trick like a Shimon and Levi trick. They use it to Kedusha. Matatiao wrote a letter to the Greek general. And he says, I'm willing to subjugate myself and the high priest, which were the rebels, his family, the Hashemurai family. And... Uh, so he came to Jerusalem, presented this letter, and Budras received him, and he looked at him, and he says, uh, I want to believe you, but I don't trust you, and I don't think you're sincere. He says, but I'll give you a test. I'll give you a test. If you are willing to take this pig and to slaughter it and to sacrifice its blood on the altar, the Holy Holies, can you imagine what the faint to even tell the story? He asked Matatiao, the high priest, to slaughter a pig, which is forbidden by Torah. Uh, can't even bring a pig into, into Jerusalem, much less the Holy Temple, much less the Holy of Holies. And he asked the high priest to slaughter the pig right there. Well, what Matatiao did, and you can see that this is a great-grandson of Levi on the side of the Kedusha. We see that Levi's power and Shimon's power and the power they got their father it's like nuclear power. You can light up the, the, the town of, uh, light up the city of New York, and you can destroy it. Well, Matatiao used this power for Kedusha because there's nobody left loyal to Hashem but him and a handful of rebels that are his sons and his sons-in-laws. You count them, you count them on, on, on 20 fingers. Okay, nobody left, right? Just them. But they did guerrilla attacks and... They made, the, they made the, the Greek army crazy. So Budra says, I want to believe you, but slaughter this pig. Meanwhile, he came. What he prepared for himself, Matatiao, before he came to Jerusalem, he prepared a little dagger with a two-inch blade 
little two-inch handle, and it was right in the cloak, and he said to Budras, Budras says, he gives him the knife, and the pig is right there. He says, I can't do this in front of your generals. I'm willing to do this in front of you. Tell your generals that they all have to leave. Okay, so he was willing, all right, willing to do it. That's fine. I'm good enough witness, and this I'll believe you. So all the generals left, and he goes as if he's leaning down toward the pig, and he takes out his little dagger, and one shot, and there's no more Budras, okay? Budras, he stopped smoking, he stopped breathing, he, stopped, he didn't pass go, he didn't collect $200, that's it, no more Budras. All right, and Matatiao calmly left inside the soldiers, and they, they came inside, they saw the general out dead. That's when the revolt started, and the Hashmonaim, there was actually 13 of them, 13 documented, who documented these. The story I'm telling you, it comes from the Megillah Hashmonaim, the Megillah of Hashmonaim. It is an ancient Megillah. It's rare. It's not found. Uh, there's an ancient, uh, the Belzer Hasidim have an ancient copy of it. I saw, the, I saw a copy of it. Uh, this is validated by Josephus, Josephus, Josephus Flavius. He was a the commander of the Jewish forces in Yodfat in the time of the Romans in the Galilee. And he went over to the Roman side in order to try and make peace with them, but he became the historian of this. He writes about the history of the Jewish people and the history of the wars and all the information that he writes in history of the Jews. By the way, the Chofetz Chaim mentions this book in Halacha in the Mishnah Burah. This is one of the books that we are allowed to read on Tisha B'Av. We're not allowed to read Hatorah, it makes us happy, but only the sad parts of Torah like Jeremiah and the account of the destruction of the temple in Tractate Gita and Gomorrah. We're also allowed to read Josephus. So, so Chafetz Haim mentions Josephus. It's a reliable book, historically reliable, and it corroborates with what's written in, in the, the, Megillus, uh, the, the Megillah Hashemayim. So the revolution starts. And who's the revolution who leads the revolution? Matatiao's five sons. Yudah Maccabi. Where's the name Maccabi from? Maccabi in Hebrew is Mem Chaf Bet Yud. It is the first initial of Mi Kamocha Ba'elim Hashem. This is the battle cry. There would be a battle cry and there says, no one like Hashem. There's no one, no one like you, Hashem. The word Maccabi, Mi Kamocha Ba'elim Hashem, that's Mem Chaf Bet Yud, that's Maccabi. This was their battle cry, that there's no one like Hashem. Hashem says, no one like Hashem, I'll show you that there's no one like me. And we see that for this war of Amunah, what are they fighting for? What are they fighting for? They're fighting for Amunah. Where did they get the power? Where did they get the power? To realize where they got the power, they have to go back to their great, 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 great father, Jacob. Jacob wrestled Esau's angel in Parshat Vayishlach all night long. If you ever, there's one thing in Israeli uh, Krav Maga that Israeli soldiers learned is Krav Maga and it is a defense against all the major types of combat arts. Uh, judo, karate, taekwondo, uh, Thai boxing, Brazilian boxing, tried to job protection. There's a principle in Krav Maga that <clears throat> in hand-to-hand -hand combat with weapons, it's got to end fast. It's got to end fast. It's got to really end fast. And it'd be talking about maybe two, two and a half seconds to incapacitate the enemy. Why? This is not like a boxing match or wrestling match. Person's fighting for his life. And person's fighting for his life. The adrenaline is flowing. And the body just can't stand 
<clears throat> this extended flow of adrenaline. Okay, so here, Jacob, when he fought the angel, he said, this was an angel of Hashem. Hashem was telling the angel exactly Jacob's soft spots. And Jacob felt like he would squeeze every limb in his body was being tortured. Jacob didn't fight for the two minutes like Krav Maga. He fought all night long. Where did he get the power? Where did he get the power? He, he was good. Sometimes when a person is excruciating pain, how many times have you heard of people in excruciating pain and they've prayed, they begged that someone should put them out of their misery and they dream of a nice, happy death rather than continuing this misery? So no, okay, Jacob was in such misery. Then he stopped and thought, so wait a second. If something happens to me, there's no more monotheism. There's no more Jewish people. That's it. He can't let himself lose that battle. And he went all night long until he kept the, the angel at bay. And the, the angel had to bless him. He forced the angel to bless him. So here we see from this, this is a tradition. And this battle for Amunah, he's fighting for the life of the Jewish people, for the life of Amunah. What, what's the Jewish people? It's the life of Amunah. And this is what the Maccabim, the Hashemunah, we call them Maccabim. We're talking about the Hashemunah family. This is what the Maccabis were fighting for. They're fighting for, they're not fighting for, the nationalists say they're fighting for freedom. They're fighting for Amuna. They're fighting for Shabbat. They're fighting for the Torah. They're fighting for the Mitzvot Torah. Nationalism had nothing to do with it. It was to get the Greeks out of the Holy Temple and to purify the Holy Temple. So Matatiao, now he's killed General. Now the guys are up in the hills. So there are times in Jewish history, people think, oh, the Jews are the chauvinistic. No way, Jose. Do you know why we eat milk, foods, dairy products on Hanukkah? We eat blintzes and we eat knishet. People make pizza. People make uh, cheese omelets. We eat all kinds of cheeses. It's to commemorate one of the biggest miracles of Hanukkah that was performed by, by way of uh, Matatiao's daughter, Yehudit. Yehudit, now at this time where Budras is dead, Budras the general comes, Antiochus, the king, he comes himself to the land of Israel, and Antiochus, he, he encamps in Moza. If you've ever been in Israel, and you're coming from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And before you make the last, last, it's about a five kilometer ascent to Jerusalem. At the bottom, right when the ascent starts, that's where there's a little river there and a lot of willows. That's, that's Moza. That's where the Greek encampment was. That's where Antiochus was. So Yehudit, she takes her maidservant and she takes two baskets, one with food, one with wine. And she requests to see the king. Meanwhile, the Greeks had made a law. The Greeks made a law that before a Jewish girl goes into the chuppah under the wedding canopy, terrible that she has to give herself to a Greek officer. And this otherwise, uh, this was a terrible, 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 terrible decree because for Amuna and, and Judaism, holiness and holiness is, is closest to Hashem. This is... The beacon, the beacon of our faith. It's a beacon of connection to Hashem. A person can't cling to Hashem if he or she is not holy. And for something like this, so terrible, so nasty, this was one of the worst decrees. This was another decree of the Greeks. Okay, so Yudi, she does something very cunning. She goes to the encampment. She was beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautiful young lass. And she goes to the, the Greek encampment 
And she asked to see the general. I said, what's this here? She says, I'm the daughter of the high priest. Comes and she said, daughter of the high priest? Well, the high priest a rebel. No, he says, she comes. He thought, this is, this is she says, your majesty, I understand that the destiny is, is with you. The Greeks are conquering the world, most powerful in the world. I'm the daughter of the high priest. I don't want to give myself to a, a lieutenant or a colonel. I'm the daughter of the high priest. I'm really fit for a king. So I come directly to you, your majesty. Well, he looked at her. He was really, he says, he says, young lady, you are so admirable. Come inside. Okay. He says, but at first, I, I ask you one question. I do one, one favor that we get to know one another. And uh, and this, with, within a week, within a week, I'll be yours. Okay. He said, fine. We'll have to wait for a week. It's respect. She says, this is the way we do things. And, and this is royalty. So what happened is she prepared herself and she brought me bring food and drink for the for, for the king and about four days in a row. Now the sentries were used to seeing you did come in and out. She would come in and then she'd come out. She'd come in, come out, come into the encampment and leave the encampment. And she'd leave the encampment. The king said, this young lady has carte blanche. So the fourth night she comes and she brings a basket full of really salty goat cheese. And she brings the best wine, Israel and, and let me tell you, Israel wines are they're the best. They are the best. Okay. They bring, she brings it a, a, a really couple of carafes of wonderful wine in one basket. And she says, Your Majesty, we'll now have our, our betrothal meal together. Okay. And he's really fantastic. She says, but they want you to eat, to be healthy. And so she feeds him salty cheese, salty cheese, salty cheese. And he loves it. And he's eating more and more. And he's drinking more and more. We finished about two carafes of wine, the equivalent to maybe about a, a liter and a half, two liters of wine. And he's out like a light. As soon as Antiochus is out like a light, Yehudi takes his sword and she gave him a haircut. But the haircut was not only below the scalp, it was below his nose, below the mouth, below the chin. That's where she, she severed his head. And then she took his head. This is the courage of this young girl. This is Amuna. Where can a young get the power to do this? We see throughout history also, not just that there was Yehudi, that there was Yael, and there was Deborah. I could tell stories about the heroic women of Israel, what they would do for Amuna. Come on, girls. They're talking about no way. It's the exact opposite. So she takes his head and puts it in one of the baskets. And then she leaves the sentries. Don't bother. They used to come in and out. And then she gets back to the walls of Jerusalem and she calls to the sentries and she shows them, here, is this, is this what you're looking for? Scantio's head. And then, wow, the, the Greek army, they, they look inside, they see their king is dead. And they came and they ran down the, down the hill to the Jaffa port and got on the ships. And all along the way, they were being ambushed by, uh, by the... <laughs> the Maccabi guerrillas, that, that's the story of Hanukkah. So they go in and they clean the Hashemunayim. They go in, they find the Holy Temple. The Holy Temple is full of pig grease. It's got to be clean, scrubbed, purified. Not clean, scrubbed, they clean, scrub, purify, sanctify. There's a problem. To light the Holy Menorah. You can't do ritual sacrifice, you can't do anything unless you light the Holy Menorah. And they can't find oil. And there's a problem. By the time they squeeze olive oil and make pure olive oil, it's going to take a couple of days. 
They finally find a vial of olive oil sealed by the high priest. They found where it is, and they light the candle. Should have lasted for one day, and but it lasted for eight days. That's our miracle of Hanukkah. Every single day is a miracle amongst itself because it should live another day, another day, another day. And that's why we say the hollow prayer every single day. The war of Amuna, beloved brothers and sisters, it's not over. It's going on right today. It's going today in the land of Israel. It's in today with every young person in, uh, in, in London and Manchester. I saw it with my own eyes. London, what the, the, the Hashem, the, the evil inclination is willing to have an entire Mundial and, and all these teams. And what's it? It's to, to, to lure, lure young people to close their Gomorrahs. They're closing them and watching Mundial. It's here today. It's here to the land of Israel. People say we have to have a secular, democratic state. And they want to do things in the land of Israel that go completely against Torah. And the land of Israel is a, it's a Shem's it's a king's palace. It's a defiling the palace. We're right where we were. We're right where we were back at the Hashemunayim. Well, when is the war going to end? We get to be 120 years. And what people are looking for, and this is the good news and the bad news. I'll give you the bad news before. The bad news is if you want Emona, uh, forget about rest, because life is going to be a war until 120 years. And if you don't want to fight, then it's subjugating yourself to the Greeks, but the Greeks are just a masquerade of the evil inclination. And then we person pays for one's choices in the next world. The good news is for those courageous souls and Bo Hashem, I, our group, a cohesive group, right now, by, by this time, no, almost one by one, except for the few, we've got a few new faces tonight. Know one by one and know the wars that each of you have had in order to get close to Hashem. And the war are not over. But I want to tell you something. Hashem has such gratification from his beloved children that fight that war of Amuna just to get close to him. And they're willing, just like Jacob, to fight all night long, even though they're fighting against an angel. When you want Amuna, what looks like uh, here that income taxes on your stage, there's a person fighting a, a financial problem, a person's fighting a, a health problem. It's it's all a test of Amuna. Nobody had a more difficult life than King David. Nobody had a more difficult life than Abraham. King David, he had that one son revolt against him. He had two sons, his close advisor. His, his, his father-in-law tried to kill him. Everything he went through, his wife revolted against him. Michal had such a difficult life. But King David writes in Psalm 119, Kol mitzvosecha emuna. He says, Hashem, I realize that all your commandments are emuna. Everything I'm doing is to get closer to you, get to emuna. And this is what King David says. He wants to be with Hashem. He says, Hashem, I want to be like a baby in a mother's bosom. That's when King David was a mighty fighter. He was a mighty fighter. The Midrash tells him he could throw a javelin and it could skewer 60 enemy soldiers. But he says to Hashem, I feel like you just is like a baby. This is the innocence, the purity of King David or Mashiach. And we hope soon, we hope soon that we're courageous enough 
to fight the war of Amuna. Each one of us, you have to know, maybe think you think you're losing, but as long as you're fighting, you're not losing. You know, Jacob, Jacob didn't have, didn't raise his hand winning, but in the end, to, if it's enough that that angel doesn't subdue you and you hold on to your Amuna and say, I want to get close to Hashem, then you're going to be one of the people, God willing, with their own two eyes, sees the coming of Mashiach and the rebuilding of our holy temple, speeding their days with a really happy Hanukkah and all your heart's wishes for the best. Amen. <laughs>